Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. In Turkey. Um, and Austin grew up in this church, and you guys are actually the church, our home church that sends us over. Um, so if we haven't had the privilege of meeting you, please come up and talk to us after the service, because we'd love to chat with you. Um, and I am really excited to be sharing this morning, a little nervous, if I'm honest, because I feel like Mother's Day is like a big day. Um, so just bear with me if I shake or anything. Um, but I was reading on Facebook a quote that somebody posted, and it said, the highest aim of womanhood is not motherhood. The highest aim of, mother, of womanhood is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And I was just thinking about that on Mother's Day and how a lot of times there's those of us as mothers who don't think we do a good job. Um, I've got toddlers, so there's days that it's just not a good mom day. Um, and it's a good reminder that that is not the entire goal. Um, and... Even if you don't have kids, even if you're a guy, the goal of life is not a role, but the goal of life is to continually pursue Christ and to be made into his image. Um, and so I just want to encourage you with that today. And if you guys will bow your heads with me, I'm going to open in prayer. Lord, I just thank you for this morning and just this beautiful day that it is. And I thank you for the honor of coming and sharing in your word together and just sharing in what you want to speak to us. And Holy Spirit, I would just like to invite you into this room, Lord, that you will use the words that I speak as just words straight from your heart, Lord, that I won't say anything that doesn't line up with, with who you are. And Lord, I just pray that our hearts will be open to you, will be open to learn from you and to hear from you, um, and to just be ready to be conformed to whatever it is that you're speaking to us. We just thank you for your goodness and your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of our message today is called Destiny, Living in Identity and Community. Um, and when I was first preparing this message and God kept bringing up the word destiny, I was kind of like, really, destiny? I feel like the words destiny and fate are very spiritualized, but in a non-Christian spiritualized way. Like there's this force that we have no control over and we have no control over what happens and whatever it is, it just is what it is. And... As God was speaking this to me, he was like, no, our destiny is to live in the identity God has given us. We have an identity in him, and if we live in that, then our destiny will be fulfilled. And so as we go through that, as we go through the message today, just kind of be thinking on that. Um, we're going to be in Judges chapter 4, so if you have a phone or a Bible, if you want to turn there with me, that would be great. Um, it's only 23 verses, and it's the story of Deborah and Barak. And I've read it before, but I've never studied it, and so I just kind of want to do a quick overview so that we're all on the same page. Um, the Israelites have been in the Promised Land for a few generations at this point, and they keep sinning, and God puts them back into captivity or oppression or something underneath people because basically they sin and turn away from him. And so we come in in chapter 4, and it says, The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. 
the Lord sold them to King Jabin, and he harshly oppressed them for 20 years. And so that's where they're at when this story happens. And then we get introduced into Deborah, and it says, Deborah the prophetess. And she had this specific location, and all of the Israelites would come to her and bring her their problems, and she would settle their disputes. And so she was a known woman who had wisdom and followed God. And then she summons Barak, this guy that we haven't heard of as of now, and says, hey, Barak, hasn't God already told you that you're going to have this army of Israelites that come around you, and you're going to go and basically you're going to defeat King Jabin through his commander Sisera? And Barak says, okay, I'll go if you go, but if you don't go, I'm not going to go. And Deborah says, okay, I'll go with you. Um, you're not going to get the honor, but I'll go. And so Barak goes to, the Naphtal, uh, to Naphtali and Zebulun and gets 10,000 men. And Deborah's right there with them. And they go up to Mount Tabor. And Sisera, who is the commander of Jabin's army, sees them. And he gets all of his chariots and all of his army and goes to attack Barak. But it says that the Lord threw Sisera and all of his charioteers and all of his army into this great panic. And Sisera, in the middle of this panic, flees, and the, all of the Israelites slay the entire army by the sword, except Sisera, who has run away. But then it says that Sisera runs up to this tent, and there's a female named Jael there, and he says, hey, basically, can I have asylum in your tent? And she says, yeah, come on in. And he says, don't tell anybody that I'm here, especially don't tell this guy that I'm here. And he goes to sleep, and Jael gets a tent peg and hammers it through his head, and then she goes out and Barak's coming and she says, hey, Barak, I have this guy that you are looking for. And Barak walks in and Sisera is, is dead. And the last verse of the chapter says, that day God subdued King Jabin of Canaan before the Israelites. The power of the Israelites continued to increase against King Jabin of Canaan until they destroyed him. And I would encourage you to go read it because again, it's only 23 verses. Um, but I just wanted to give you the quick recap before we kind of jump in to the sermon today. We're going to look at both Deborah and Barak as we go through, and they are individuals who lived in active identity. They lived in who God would, made them to be. And so we see Deborah, and again, the culture of the people is one that over and over again turns their backs on God. And not only do they turn their back on God and abandon him, but they actually pursue other idols. They pursue other gods. And then the Lord leaves them because they have left the Lord. And then they're basically under this harsh, harsh oppression and they cry out. And normally in the book of Judges, it says that God raised up a judge. But in the case of Deborah, it doesn't say that. It just says, Deborah, a prophetess who was judging Israel at the time, and that the Israelites would seek her out. And so what do we know about Deborah? Who is Deborah? A prophetess is a person that is regarded as an inspired teacher or proclaimer of the will of God, a spokeswoman for God. The faithful prophetess was one who, regardless of whether or not she was listened to, spoke everything that God said to speak. So in a culture where everyone else is not pursuing God and has actively turned their backs on God, Deborah is this pillar. She is strong and courageous and constantly speaking the truth. 
so much so that the Israelites seek her out to settle their disputes. She lived in such a way that she was set apart from this community that she was in. Now, this is who she is. She's a prophetess. But she can walk in that identity not on her own strength, but because of her closeness with God. In the midst of a community that was pursuing other things, Deborah chose to pursue God. She chose to have this relationship and this closeness with God. And from that, she was able to speak the truth. From that, she was able to have wisdom and be strong when it was probably really hard. And so she had this amazing reputation because she walked in this identity and this relationship that she had with the Lord. So we're going to look at Barak. Barak is strong and a warrior and a leader and a commander. The first time I was reading through his story, and Deborah says, hey, hasn't, uh, in verse 6, she says, hasn't the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go, deploy Um, sorry, go deploy the troops on Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men from the Naphtalites and the Zebulonites. Then I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, his chariots and his infantry at the Wadi Kishon to fight against you and I will hand him over to you. So Deborah has this like, hey, you already know that God has told you this. Let's go do it. And he says, I'll go if you go with me. But if you don't go, I'm not going. And I read that and I was like, Seriously? Come on, dude. Um, But as I continued to read on, I felt like God pointed something out to me, that Barak also had a reputation. Deborah knew who he was because she summoned him by name. Obviously, the Lord knew who he was. But Deborah says, you're going to lead 10,000 men. And in verse... 10, it said, Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. So Deborah gives him this word, and then he walks over to Naphtali and Zebulun and says, Hey, who wants to follow me into war? And 10,000 men volunteer to follow him. Could you right now get 10,000 men to follow you anywhere? So not only is he known by Deborah, who summoned him by name, but he's known by the tribes of Israel, who he has enough clout that 10,000 men are ready to follow him. But in verse 12, it gets even better, because it says, It was reported to Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up on Mount Tabor. So Sisera summoned all 900 chariots and all the troops who were with him. Somebody came to Sisera, the commander or general of King Jabin's army, and says, hey, Barak is on that mountain. They didn't say, hey, 10,000 Israelites are on that mountain. They said, Barak is on that mountain. And his response was, we need the whole army. So Barak's initial response seems a little maybe uncourageous, maybe a little fearful, but his reputation is obviously preceding him. He is obviously known as a warrior and a commander and a leader and capable and strong. And so as I was processing all of this, it takes me a few days when I'm kind of working on something or processing through something. It kind of comes in in waves. And so I was kind of sitting on this a little bit. And 
Austin and I uh, were reading our Bible at night, and Austin turns off the light, and I'm sitting there, and my eyes are like leaking. Do any other females, does that happen to you? You're just like, why am I crying? And so I'm like, well, I should probably get up so my husband can sleep. And so I go downstairs with my Bible and my journal, and itineration, right now Austin and I are itinerating, which means we're building our partnership so that we can go back to, to Turkey. And it had been a little discouraging, but then in addition to that, um, somebody had asked me to maybe think about our situation. We lost our daughter when she was two months old, and so they, somebody had brought this idea to me that maybe I should process this a little bit differently. And so I had those two things kind of sitting on my heart, and I'm writing this sermon. And so I'm sitting on the floor crying, and I'm like, okay, God, is it itineration? Is it Noah Ruth? Is it this sermon? Like, why am I sitting here crying? And all of a sudden, I feel the Holy Spirit come over me, and he says, I call you daughter of faith. Now, that might be a compliment, but for me, I went from kind of crying to like the hideous, ugly crying where you're like, <laughs> you know, and then you like the whole box of tissues is not even enough because you're snotting all over the floor. Um, because that was not what I was expecting. But if we back up a little bit, as a kid, I was one of those kids that had like childlike faith. When you hear about, you know, they just believe. And that was kind of me. And I kind of took that into college. And I, my senior year of college, I would pray for like two and a half to three hours every morning for a revival on our campus. And like these things that God was speaking to my heart. And I took that to the mission field. And I took that to when our daughter was in the hospital and prayed for miracles to come that didn't come. And God has done a lot in me and in us over the last four years. But the word faith is still really hard for me. Because scripture says the faith of a mustard seed moves mountains. And your faith has healed you. And so over the past four years, every once in a while, I take out that word of faith and I kind of roll it over and try to figure out where it fits. And then a couple months ago, our teammate who's going to Turkey with us, she, she came and visited and we went up to the mountains. And she had brought this spiritual gifts test. And we all took it. And if you get above a nine, then that's like a spiritual gift that you have. And so we all got above a nine on a handful of them. But only one of us got a perfect score. And that was me. And I only got it on one. And you can probably at this point guess which one I got it on. Faith. And so I kind of made a joke about it with Austin and Sarah. And I was like, God just has such a sense of humor. But then that night, we had worship, and I just came to them, and I was like, okay, it's not funny, actually. Um, I'm actually kind of perturbed and annoyed. Like, why do I still have this gift just floating around me? And so they prayed, and it had kind of come up over the last couple months. So then as I'm sitting there in the living room, and God says, I call you daughter of faith. As I'm sitting there ugly crying, my heart is screaming, no, 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 no. You can call me anything else. You can give me a gift of wisdom or knowledge. You can even give me a gift of healing or service, anything, but can we, not, can we not make it faith? And it just kept washing over me. Daughter of faith, daughter of faith, daughter of faith. And so I finally pulled myself back together, somewhat, and crawled back into bed, slept pretty badly that night. 
But then as he continued to process through this experience with God and the story of Barak, I felt like he kind of went like, do you see it yet? Barak has a reputation because he's already acted on who God says that he is. Barak has a reputation because he is a warrior and he is a commander and he is a leader. How would he have a reputation if he hasn't been to war? How would he have a reputation if he hasn't already gotten people to follow him? But if he's already a warrior, that also means he's already lost. If he's already a leader, that means he's watched soldiers and brothers and friends die next to him on the battlefield. And he may have even been wounded himself. He has already failed in his identity. And the reason that I know that is because they're still in captivity. He has led people. He is known by the enemy. But they're, obvi- they're still in captivity. So that means that he's failed. That means that his identity has taken a huge hit. So when Deborah comes to him and says, hasn't God already told you this is what you're going to do? Barak isn't saying, I'm scared. Barak is saying, I'm hurt. And yes, I know that God has told me to do this, but I can't do it on my own. I need somebody to go with me because I've already tried and it didn't work. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Who does God say that you are? In the New Testament, Jesus comes to the disciples one day. They're walking down the street, and he comes to the disciples, and he says, hey, guys, so who do you say that I am? And they kind of come up with all these answers. But then he looks at them and says, no, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter has this revelation, and he says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus has an identity in heaven We call him Jesus, but his identity is Messiah, son of the living God. And not only is that who he is, but that's his destiny and what he's called to. And he fulfills his purpose and he fulfills that destiny because it's also his identity. They go together. And so when God says, this is who I call you, that's not only who you are, but that's who you are supposed to be. That is the destiny that you are supposed to fulfill. Deborah could not fulfill her identity without closeness with God. Barak tried on his own, but failed and was hurt. Jesus also could not fulfill that identity if he did not have a very strong relationship with the Father. Who does God say that you are? When I was processing through what God had told me about you are a daughter of faith. He was like, just like 
David is referred to as a man after God's own heart. You are referred to as a daughter of faith. And I said, God, I don't think anybody refers to me as a daughter of faith. Like, this is the first I've ever heard this. And God says, the heavenlies refer to you as a daughter of faith. I can't change your identity because you are already known by this because it's what I have put in you. And I say that because each one of us has an identity that the heavenlies refer to us by. What God has created us to be and the identity he has given us, we are referred to by in heaven. And so if we say, God, who do you say that we are that gives us an understanding of where God wants to take us and where we need to go? But in order to know that identity, we actually have to have a closeness and relationship with God. And we have to be willing to listen. So as I ask you, who does God say that you are? One, do you know that God has a specific identity for you? Do you know that there's a special name that he refers to you by? Second, do you know that there's an identity that God refers to you by, but you're trying to operate in your strengths and not at your actual identity? Your strengths can lead you in the direction of your identity, but if God has something specific for you that needs to come from God, and if you're operating in your strengths, you might be more like Barak. But then the third one is, do you know that identity, and have you been trampled and defeated and hurt? The enemy tries to take us out where God has, is trying to tell us our identity and our destiny. If the enemy knows that, that's where he's going to attack. So you might have been hurt or defeated or trampled over, and you might just be really weak and tired and say, God, I realize this is who you're telling me that I am, but I can't do it anymore. And I would challenge you to come to him and get a refreshing to stand next to him and say, God, who do you say that I am? Remind me today, what is my identity in you? Because that is also the key. It has to be in God. The minute we try to take our identity outside of God, it's going to fail. But I think what's really epic about this chapter, this 23 verses and what it shows us, is that victory comes in community. Victory comes in community. Deborah knew her identity and she walked in that. She spoke the truth. She called Barak out and said, hey, I know that God has told you this. Barak knew his identity too. He was already walking in that leadership position. But it was when identity and community came together that victory happened. Deborah was practiced in speaking the truth. Barak was worn, worn down from his own strength, working in his own strength. Deborah could have just given a word and said, Hey, Barak, don't you know that God already told you? And Barak says, Oh, but man, I'm so tired. And Deborah could have said, Yeah, but I, I only speak the truth. I can't go do this for you. But that wasn't Deborah's response. Deborah's response was to step outside of her own strengths. As a woman, she walked to the front of the battlefield. She inconvenienced herself, took herself out of where she was comfortable and where she was gifted, and went to the front of the battlefield. She inconvenienced herself 
And that is when victory happened. Because in verse 14, she's on the, in the like thick of battle with Barak. They're on the mountain. They see Sisera coming. And she says, go, this is the day the Lord has handed Sisera over to you. Hasn't the Lord gone before you? She reminds him yet again, this is what God has spoken to your heart. You can do it. I'm right here. Now is the time to go. And Barak immediately goes down the hill because Deborah was with him. We have to, in community, do all that is necessary to make sure that we're helping those around us also fulfill their destiny. Sometimes we're going to be like Barak, the one who's been defeated and torn down and who doesn't have any strength left. Sometimes that's the position that we're in. But sometimes we're in the position of Deborah, where we know our strengths and we're walking in that. But somebody comes up to us and we have to actually go with them to the battlefield. We can't be satisfied by just staying where we're at. Community. As missionaries, Austin and I have kind of seen the different sides of America and Turkey and the strengths and weaknesses. Um, but one of the things that is very glaring is community versus individualism. Um, I grew up as an American, so obviously I have the individualistic tendencies. Um, as an individualistic society, we say that we accomplish, succeed, and move forward on our own right. If we have a job, it's because we've worked to get that job. If we get a promotion, it's because we've showed up on time, we've showed ourselves capable, maybe we've studied, we've taken tests to you know, educate ourselves. We have worked for that promotion on our own right. In Turkey, if you have a job, it's because your uncle works there and he got it for you, or it's been in the family forever, or your cousin works there and she put in a good word. If you show up with a perfect resume, but you're an unknown entity, they're never going to hire you because you have no connection. It's a relational society. We don't really understand that. But on the other end of that is, in America, we kind of do community like this, where maybe we're just standing next to each other in the same area. But in Turkey, if you are friends with somebody, if like Austin goes on the street and he had a couple guys that he was friends with, and he actually got cautioned. If you spend too much time with them, at a certain point they say, okay, you're not an acquaintance, you're a friend. And if you're a friend, I have a say over your time. So if I say, Austin, we're going to the movies tonight, you can't actually say no. If I say, Austin, I need you to come help me move in, Austin doesn't have a right to say no, because he's a friend. And so community looks a lot more like this. Where if somebody says, I need you, you don't have the option to say no. Now, I'm not saying that that is always right. But what I'm saying is sometimes in America, we have a hard time doing community well. Because we're used to an individualistic society. And so what I want to challenge you with today is that victory comes in community. It doesn't even come just by standing next to each other. It comes by fighting with each other. It comes by being like Deborah, where you inconvenience yourself to the point of walking to the battlefield with somebody. Community requires that we sometimes, like Barack, 
choose to be vulnerable. It means that we choose to rely on other people. And here's the kicker. It requires that we choose to be dependent. We don't like to depend on other people because if they fail, it means that we fail. We don't want to give somebody that much trust or control over our lives. But community requires dependence. Barack could have said, hey, Deborah, I just, I can't do that. You're wrong. But that's not actually what he said. He said, I need you. I need you to go with me. I know that what you're speaking is truth, but I need you to go with me. He didn't just say no. Community also requires, though, that we be like Deborah. And when it's uncomfortable or untimely, we choose to go the extra mile. We choose to step out of where we are. We need to listen and rise to the occasion for someone else. We need to give of ourselves so that someone else can fulfill their destiny. So this morning, if the musicians could come, um, I'm going to have a response call, which I know is kind of awkward and uncomfortable sometimes, but I truly believe that when God is speaking something to our hearts and our souls, and our souls are saying, hey, I identify with that and I want that, if our entire body responds, then it's an entire person saying, hey, God, I want what you want for me. And so I'm going to challenge you to actually get up out of your seat and come and pray. And it's not a, hey, I messed up, or hey, you know, I don't, sorry. Um, I want everybody to look at me, but it's a, hey, God, I want to know what my identity is. I want to know how I can walk with these individuals around me so I'm not just standing next to them, but I'm entwined with them because victory comes in community. And how beautiful for this church to have victory in this community if you walk together. The New Testament says, they will know you are my disciples by your love. True community is walking with one another. Now we need to know who we are in God. But we also need to have the courage to walk in community with one another. And so I would challenge you, if God has pricked your heart at all, with the question, God, who do you say that I am? If you want to know the answer to that question, come spend some time with God and let him just roll worship over you. You don't even have to say anything. Just let the words roll over you and the Spirit of God roll over you. If you want to know who am I in community and what are you asking of me, Lord, do I need to be the one that is dependent? Do I need to be the one that is vulnerable? Do I need to look at somebody and say, hey, at this moment, I need help. I need you to be my Deborah. Or are you in a position where you need to be Deborah and you need to step out of your comfort zone and your life to walk with somebody to the battlefield? If any of those questions resonate in your heart, I would just ask you as, they, as the worship team plays to just come forward and just let God minister to your heart. And I will close us in prayer in a few minutes. 
thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.